Welcome to Season 2 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 40, Canvas. Today, we are joined by Jeff Chin and Andrew Nerger, a, the co-founders of Road to Infamy Games, as well as co-designers of Canvas, Canvas Reflections, After Nova, Crip, Don't Go In There, and many other great games. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. So I always like to start off with, how did you get into the game design community? I think, um, kind of... Where board gaming started for me was my brother got me a copy of Settlers of Catan uh, back in like early college and my family got totally obsessed with that. Um, so that was that was definitely my gateway game. Andrew, I think you had a you had a different gateway game, right? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah. So like back when I was like, it was funny because like just a couple of years ago, my aunt who lives in New York just found a board game I'd made when I was like five years old and gave to her. So like when, you know, we played Monopoly and sorry and all that stuff as a kid. And like, I was interested in like drawing stuff up and, and then like game wise, um, you know, I was very interested in like programming games. I was like programming games on my calculator in high school. It was like the reason I had bad grades in like math class is cause I was doing that. So like, as far as like game design as a whole, I was always you know, very curious about it, but um, I never thought that would lead to anything. Like when I met Jeff, Jeff was like game designing in high school on like a different level. And he was like, how do I design, you know, a game for, you know, 15 of my friends that we could play on a given night. And that, that was kind of eye opening for me. Yeah. Uh, was working on a bunch of different like party games, but didn't have any intention of doing anything with it. It was literally just to curb boredom and do something with our friends group. So we had a, you know, an apples to apples type clone, very Cards Against Humanity esque, yeah. just with uh, all inside jokes and, you know, and uh, played a lot of D and D in in high school and college. And I would always. Um, organize and come up with original campaigns which eventually evolved into changing all the rules and eventually you know kind of realized like you know this is just game design at this point i'm not even just playing D anymore like we're designing experiences here and so yeah we we did a hunger games themed rpg for a number of years we ran oh, that, cool. that campaign it was very fun um and i think that was like maybe the first or one of the first things Andrew and I really spent a lot of time doing together that got us mm-hmm. into the game design and the the tweaking of rules. Every single year, we would change the rules and improve the game, and uh, that kind of led to us making our first game, Road to Infamy. That's so cool. I, so fun fact, I actually just started playing D&D for the first time, and I, of course, am doing it on a live stream that people can watch. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't just do normal things. <laughs> I but like that twist. Awesome. So you're like, everyone gets to see what a first time yeah. D&D player stumbles over. Because exactly. there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of rules and stuff in there. I know. I really like the storytelling aspect because honestly, like, DMing, you're really just like creating a whole world and like a story that could easily be a book if you had a good enough campaign. So like that part I never connected with before. I was always intimidated by the math part, which Mm -hmm. when you 
play online, the math is done for you by clicking buttons. So I was like, oh, wait, this actually isn't as hard as I thought it might be, which is funny because like I'll play a heavy Euro that takes like a whole day to play. And that <laughs> doesn't intimidate me like RPGs did. Yeah, RPGs, they got literal volumes of books that you could pour through if you wanted to learn everything. You could, you, you just literally can't know every rule while playing it, which is kind of wild to think about. Like compared to playing board games, you can't play through a board game without knowing all the rules but dnd's like i don't know we'll look up the strength of a hobgoblin when we get there you know <laughs> very true yeah it's like a little encyclopedia but that's perfect so like as a segue then how do you play canvas like what is the very much smaller rule book that you're going to teach your players when they open the box oh that's a good question yeah i mean that that's like a a board game play testing philosophy is like to get new players into a game how little can you say about the game to get everyone moving Canvas is a short rule book, though. <laughs> it's two. It's it's two pages. Yeah, the how to know. play part. Yeah, you could learn it from just those two pages. Yeah, but you're right. I I bet you could say, hey, on your turn, you're going to take one of these five cards, pay the cost, and put it in your hand, and start the game right there. And then on the next turn, say, okay, now there's inspiration tokens out on the mat or whatever and as you play with the cards in your hand you can see that you're making different paintings we're going to make different paintings during the game and keep going yeah i always like to learn on the go like that um i just feel like it's it's easier to to learn a game when you're immersed in it and you're actively making a choice you might not fully understand why but uh once you pick up that card, those cards, and you start messing with them in your hand, you're like, "Oh, I see the puzzle now. I get it." And that that usually clicks uh, for me. And I think a lot of a lot of gamers work that way too. But not my wife. My wife needs every single rule <laughs> up front before we start the game. She's very strict about that. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, for anyone listening, I've actually so I helped playtest and demo Canvas and at a convention, it was a very quick and easy game to explain. It's very intuitive which is nice when you look at a design and you're just like oh that that yes makes sense <laughs> is that a goal you have for all of your games just trying to make it as intuitive as possible for like entry-level gamers definitely yeah that has always been a big part of our design philosophy is to make sure our games can teach super quick like ideally under five minute teach um, and then the complexity comes from the depth of the puzzle and the strategy rather than like the volume of rules and what made the theme of like paintings the right theme? Because I know like art games can be very like hit or miss on if it's a good theme or not. Yeah, good question. Um, so I think it came from so while I was I was playing Mystic Veil, um, another transparent card game and uh it's a solid game but i kept wishing the whole time that the pictures interacted with each other i was like ah such a missed opportunity this and i was like wait well i could do that you know <laughs> and so i started thinking about that and how to how that could possibly work and if it's a game about creating illustrations like what better theme than creating illustrations you know um so that's that's sort of where the painting thing came up came in but uh the the style was something andrew and i argued over for probably like six plus months trying to get an art style that would actually make sense um so uh, originally i was thinking it would have to be a abstract painting game because i was like there's no way you can get the the artwork to look good together if it's all you know a bunch of representational stuff smashed up against each other but then we came up with this 
system to to make it work where depending on where the swatches are the the illustration would uh take up a different portion of the painting so then we were we were able to do a more representational painting theme for it um but because you have the fun juxtaposition of weird things that that made it more of a surreal uh painting style so that's kind of how we arrived at the 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 sort of genre of art and the painting theme that's so cool. And how did you end up finding your artists that kind of helped that style? Reddit. Yeah, there's a there's a subreddit called Hungry Artists where there's a ton of uh, untapped talent, just like a lot of really incredible artists there that are just looking for for a project, looking for a way to make a break. And so we found Luan's art on there and um, it was an amazing, perfect fit. And yeah, like so since then i've for every project i always search that subreddit and like there's there's so many amazing brilliant artists out there uh, that are just looking for an opportunity to to do a big project oh that's so cool yeah because i mean the art is what stands out like so i i don't know if you can tell but um your game is like currently hanging on my wall (laughs) i've had so many people ask me did you paint that because i do paint (laughs) and i'm pretty okay at it but i'm always like oh no pick it up and they're like oh my god this is a board game of course it's a board game danielle like did you who came up with that idea was it the manufacturer was it you guys it was our friend rusty we were having a game night and he works on he works in product design for a number of companies sometimes it's he worked for a construction you know tool hardware company he works um for some like computer hardware but so he was talking about box designs he, he he also designed games so he was talking about how different ways to display a box on a table or on a wall and that's when it like clicked we're like oh my god could we please have that idea that would be so perfect and he was like yeah, yeah, that's like the perfect idea for your game. We owe you a steak dinner. <laughs> I was going to say, did you end up uh, paying and giving that steak dinner? Uh, yeah, yeah. I took him out to uh, a restaurant over COVID called like Duck Duck near his work. And I was like, and I was like, I probably owe you another dinner. I don't know. <laughs> was he also the one that came up with the don't go in there box or it's also like a dice tower? No, no, no. No, that was that was my my thought, and then uh, worked with the manufacturer to to kind of realize that and how to actually execute it. But yeah, I have I have like a half dozen different handmade prototypes of that dice tower box in my closet right now. That just like taking up so much space. That was a that was a big project. <laughs> I just remember I was like, ooh, that's cool. And then the glow in the dark dice. Like you guys always have such interesting components and like really cool artwork. I assume that that's something that you focus on. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, we we want, always want to find a way for the components of our game to stand out. Um, we've, I think that's, you know, with so many board games coming out nowadays, like it's it's really important to, to have that eye catching table presence, you know. So definitely something we always think about with every design. Not every design starts there. You know, sometimes we'll be working on a simpler card or board game. And then after the, you know, the first play test, Andrew and I will always be like, okay, so if we do this, how do we make it sexier? <laughs> and so sometimes that, that can uh, lead to some cool, interesting design choices. Like I think don't go in there. I originally didn't have the, the dice tower box in, in the first few playthroughs, but like once we 
decided we really wanted that, then we're like, okay, how do we like make sure that this game has enough dice? Because I think we had a version where that game had a single die, and we're mm-hmm. like, you can't have a dice tower and one die, and so that dice tower started influencing some some decisions, and ultimately ended up in a much cooler game. That's so cool. So then, while playtesting Canvas, like what changes happened along the way? Also, it was translucent cards. Like, how did you prototype that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we did a few things prototype wise. Uh, so to start, it was, um, just printed on computer paper and when we would cut out tabs on the bottom of the card so that you could see through, or, you know, see the card beneath it because that section of the card was cut away. Um, and so I painstakingly cut like a deck of 60 cards, little cutouts in the bottom of each of them. So that took forever. And, you know, probably a dozen different versions of that. Um, once the game mechanisms were, were kind of rolling, then uh, we, we printed on the clear acetone sheets, you know, like back in the day, like the overhead projector oh my God, sheets. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. That's cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we printed right on there. And, but then it's too translucent so we had to like take white paint and paint the backs of where the artwork was so that it wouldn't like be completely see-through so that was also a a huge manual labor process um and yeah i think those are the two two big forms of prototyping before we got like a manufactured copy that you know actually looked nice Uh, though now I see the game crafter offers, you know, transparent card printing. I'm like, where yeah. was this option years ago? <laughs> you Would probably inspired so it. Like everyone's like, oh, we need to do translucent. Like between like I, you I, and like Gloom and some of those other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I definitely submitted uh, a request for that to to the game crafter. They have like a form where you're like, do you have any component ideas? I submitted that when we were working on Canvas, and then like two years later, they started offering it. And I was like, oh, could if only this happened faster. <laughs> oh my gosh, did they have it at least? by the time you were working on Reflections or was it still not there? I don't know. But for Reflections, we we did all digital uh, play testing. Um, you know, once the pandemic hit, we were kind of forced to learn how to use Tabletop Simulator. Mm-hmm. And then we got pretty good at, at building mods in there. So that became an actually more efficient way to prototype than, than printing, cutting out stuff. Um, so especially with, you know, sometimes more complicated components like these transparent cards it's a it's a lot easier to to do it digitally and we have a a a buddy who who helped us out build the canvas mods too so that we can get the transparency effects and all that so yeah the the digital uh, reflections was like almost 100 percent digital prototyping Oh, wow. How did you do the mod then for the transparency on TTS? So that for the transparent aspect, we had to um, hire uh, Peter Schutz to to make those components work with the transparency. And he, he did a really good job making those those mods that we use for Canvas. Very cool. Yeah, because it, it fascinates me because I had also an idea of how to make a game with transparencies. I'm like, oh, this is going to take forever to make. So I keep uh-huh. like putting it off and like shelving the idea when I'm like, oh, I need to do this because it seems cool. But, you know, that's awesome, though, that that didn't like persuade you to stop. 
as far as the rest of the gameplay, like how do you make the decisions of trying to like collect these pieces? So like you now have the images associated with these different types of like symbols, like contrast or like color and like all that. Would you mind walking me through those choices? As far as what the the theme of the the names of the yeah, like how you turn this idea into an actual game. As far as just like, hey, we're going to stack these together to score points according to these different goal cards and like how you're going to drop these inspiration tokens in order to collect something farther down the line. I mean, I think that came really fast. Honestly, I think all those ideas were in place in like the first prototype of the game. We knew that with transparent cards, you could layer over on top of each other and the puzzle would be covering up and revealing different icons Um, And that was just a matter of like, what did the UI look like? Like, how did, where were these symbols? So like Jeff's original idea was like each, the cards would be square and each corner or side of the card, you'd have symbols. And it was like, okay, well, this is, and you'd be spinning the cards around to try and figure out where they match. Um, And then the next thought was, what if all the symbols were centrally located at the bottom of the card? So it's easier for a player to see where they all are. And then, you know, the 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 shapes and, and everything that correspond with Canvas were so clearly identified with set collection that we knew we were going to do some sort of set collection scoring. Um, we quickly knew that the cards weren't going to be 100% balanced in the sense that some cards would have two symbols, some cards would have three symbols, we tested four symbols. So we knew we wanted some sort of market system where the cards would get valued correctly. So that's where like that kind of century spice, um, placing coins down to pick stuff up came in. But all of that was like, <laughs> honestly, like the first, the earliest prototypes really had that. And the hard, like, a late change into the game was was scoring, I would say. Like the, the ribbon tokens that people have today, when you complete some sort of um, scoring card, you get a ribbon. That didn't show up until, you know, maybe four or five months into it. Before that, we had, what was like the earliest stuff? The earliest version I remember making was like an Isle of Sky type scoring where each painting you created you were trying to complete a different pair of scoring objectives so it's going to be like the a and b goal you know if try and do your first painting to that then your second painting you want to complete the b and c goals together um and it wasn't until like andrew said like pretty late in the process that I was I was thinking like you know what's more fun if if you you can just do all of them like <laughs> because mm-hmm. it, it it sucks when you you like complete a goal but you're like ah but goal D wasn't one of the scoring ones this round and so I was like well what if they're all scoring every round um, so I don't know it's kind of kind of weird that like a such a big simplification happened later in the stage later in the design stages but uh, yeah it was definitely a, a good big change. When you decided to create reflections, I know you ended up adding it was the gold ribbon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mind talking about like what that did to change the game? The gold ribbon was like one of our usually when we design a game at the end of it, we have 20 or 30 other possible rules, scoring concepts for the game that didn't make it. Sometimes because they were under tested or they were too complex or we had something that was just more understandable. So that was the gold ribbons really. Um, and they, 
it was really like a cool, harder to score goal for the game. So, um, so yeah, we kind of just, we knew that was like nice expansion material. Someone who has played the game enough could, who really understood the spatial puzzle could pull off the goal ribbon scoring a little bit more easily. Whereas like, if you introduce that in the first game, people would probably have a little bit of a tough time with it. And we wanted this, we wanted the first game to be super approachable, super, super accessible. Um, I think what really like put a new spin on reflections from a design standpoint was the reversible cards where both sides of the card had icons on it. So when that happened, I feel like we had some new thoughts about scoring and everything because the cards can become so flexible if it's, you know, texture icon in red can be flipped to be across the other side of the card in purple. Um, and with that, we, we knew we were just making the game a little bit more flexible. So our, so then the scoring criteria for reflections in general is a little bit more difficult than the original one because we're giving players the tools to kind of, you know, meet that, uh, meet the new, objectives of it and then are you able to play reflections as like a standalone game or do you need both games you you need both you need the base game uh i think technically there's enough components in the reflections box you could you could play a two-player game and it would be all reversible cards and but uh well you need all the ribbons i suppose uh and it doesn't come with all the ribbons and in reflections. so yeah you you need the base game um, yeah. Gotcha. Cool. And then what made it like, what made canvas the right game for you to publish as road to infamy? I think it, like I was saying before, we, we go for that, like easy to learn, hard to master, uh, kind of thing. And I think canvas is maybe our game that accomplishes that the best where it's incredibly easy to learn. And so, uh, but you know, the more you play it, the more in depth that puzzle feels, and you kind of learn the different ways to string the different goals together. I think that's kind of what we strive for in the games that we create. So, um, yeah, it works out really well in our our line of products. I think very cool. And would you mind talking about how you guys started Road to Infamy Games, or do you go by R two I Games now? I know the logos changed. Both work. Okay. But yeah, for. For simplification of the logo, we definitely do R2I games. It's a little more recognizable. And yeah, I think we refer to ourselves as R2I games. Yeah, we, we started, um, like I was saying, Andrew and I were working on that Hunger Games RPG, and we we wanted to um, turn that into an actual physical game that we could kind of reproduce and, and play. And that, that turned into a million different versions of, of, of a game, and we ended up with just, just working on a computer completely different game by by the end of of this but uh so that was our, our first game road into me and I, I my cousin does uh kickstarter campaigns for playing cards and um so i that, that that's kind of where i learned about kickstarter i'm like oh you can just you know make this yourself you don't have to like find a publisher or something like you can just go direct to the you know, direct to the source and and sell direct to customers and make the game how you want to make it. That's so cool. Um, and so that's, that's where I got the idea for that. And so we, we ran a, our first Kickstarter campaign in what is that 20, 
16-ish, 14. 14? Wow. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's been so long. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, you know, starting out, it was just a modest little, you know, like 300 backer campaign, but we were, we were so excited. We were like, this is success. 300 backers, you know, it exceeded (laughs) all our expectations. We thought we were just going to make like, you know, a hundred copies of the game or something and, and just, you know, and, and be done with it but uh we had so much fun with it that we we're like you know what let's let's do this again let's make this a thing and so and here we are you know like eight years later still putting out a game every year so it's it's been cool it's been a long process and you know a lot of growing and learning throughout the years but uh yeah that's been fun that's so awesome and when did you switch into full-time That was the Crypt campaign? Yeah. 2018? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got laid off from my job. Uh, so it was like, start looking for something new or see if this game thing will work. And, you know, Crypt, Crypt kind of did well at a really crucial point in my life where, yeah, I had just been laid off. I had, And I had just bought a condo, too. And so I was like, this, this needs to work. <laughs> Jeez. And, and very fortunately, very fortunately it, it has worked for us. Um, so it was definitely a sink or swim moment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like kind of the dream is to work full time in the industry you love doing what you love with cool people. Clearly you two get along still after eight years. <laughs> that's awesome. And then Kickstarter, how intuitive was that for you to start picking up and learning? Um, I think like the, the act of like putting a campaign page together and getting it posted isn't too bad. The real confusing part, not confusing, but like something you have to research and dig down into is like, what does the page need to look like? What are the expectations for that? How should you lay the page out? What needs to be there? What are, what are people looking for on Kickstarter? You know, not, there are some great products that don't do well on Kickstarter and it's not really because it's only because they're not hang, you know, Kickstarter people are, are a certain customer. So it's really learning the marketplace in a way is what it really is. Um, I think that's the hard part. And there's not a ton of resources out there for us and for people in the board game industry. We've always fallen on advice from Jamie Stegmeier. He is like very much big in just like online retail sales for board games. So whenever we had a question, we would look at his blog posts. He's got, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand something blogs now. And he's almost always written on stuff that we were concerned about, whether it be like, how do you, who do you talk to to fulfill a campaign? You know, um, what are the do's and don'ts of like FAQs on Kickstarter? Like he just has everything there. So that was a huge, huge help for us and a great resource. And anyone listening to this who wants to do board games on Kickstarter, I think Jeff and I both highly recommend going to the Stone Meyer Games website and finding the blog and just reading every single article. I'm also going to second or third that I read, <laughs> yeah. his, like, I read his like book too. And it's really good. Like strategies for crowdfunding. That was, mm-hmm. that was a very good book when I thought that I wanted to do Kickstarter stuff, learned very quickly. I prefer to work for people. I don't want to own a company. <laughs> 
So good for you both. And as far as like what kind of designers you are, would you classify yourself more as like theme first, mechanic, component, or just like feeling? Do you have something you gravitate towards? A little bit of everything. I I have a spreadsheet where I just like jot down crazy ideas and stuff that may or may not turn into something, but I, I classify them all by either theme or or like component or mechanism. So and I, that's a pretty even split. That's just very different things inspire me. Um, you know, like for example, canvas, I would say was maybe, maybe component inspired because I played mystic veil and I was like, I really like transparent cards and I want to do something else with them that hasn't been done. So, um, but I don't know other games, um, trying to think what, what the, what came first for the other ones. Uh, I think for our earliest versions it usually, kind of lean towards mechanism first. And I think this is, for me, I think there's kind of uh, just like a, a graduation or like stepping points for a designer. And I think the first thing really is, probably the first game you're going to design is going to be more mechanism forward because you're trying to figure out how mechanisms work. You're trying to find a fun mechanism and you're, you're understanding that. So kind of step one is like, can I make a game work? And that means you really have to be thinking about the mechanisms. And then once you've really got a good handle on that, you can kind of graduate into these other tiers where you're designing component first or theme first, where if you can just find an interesting theme for yourself, you know you have this big bag of tools, these big a big bag of mechanisms that you can throw out. You know, oh, I'm making a game about gardening. Well, of course we're going to have, I'm going to throw this in there. You know, like it, it takes a... I need some sort of timing mechanism because it takes a while for flowers to grow and I need, you know, you need to water it. So every round I'm going to have these water tokens. So um, I feel like we've graduated a bit from mechanism and now it's mostly, you know, component or theme first. I think that's really funny because I've in general always been theme first which is problematic when I work with other people because I get excited. I'm like, Oh my God. So think about this. Like you do this, this, and this is the, how you do it on your turn. And they're like, okay, but like what mechanic, like how are you going to make this work? And I'm like, okay, but it'll be cool. We'll just have to figure it out. And then I have to basically go through like all the mechanics. I'm like, eh, that doesn't really work. This kind of, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm really bad at like this idea is so cool. And then I have my like, either co-designer or developer person that I work with just go like, all right, Danielle, I love the energy, but also (laughs) I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) We'll make it work. (laughs) We'll find that like marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And and you've been doing it for a long time too. So I'm sure more often than not, you figure it out and you you tie those mechanisms to it. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's still a few that I'm like, I really cannot seem to figure out how to do this thing. But I, I agree with the component. I remember playing one of the like tiny epic zombie games. And there was just this like little meeple car that you could put a little meeple inside of and inspired an entire game. Just because that one little thing, I was like, I want this. <laughs> I yeah. want this in a game and I need to make a game for it. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real process. So how long do you think it took from like inspiration to publication for Canvas? Um, maybe was it a little over a year of design and development and then it hits kickstarter and then you know another nine months before it's released after kickstarter something like that Mm -hmm. okay so that's that's a pretty decent timeline then around two years or less yeah i think that's the benefit of being like designer publishers is we're 
we really are working on everything at the same time. Like um, there's no handoff between like what components could work for this or something. Whereas I, I think traditional publishing is a little bit slower because you have to wait for the design. Then you kind of like, you're like, we're done with the designer part. He can just stand over there. Or she can stand over there. And now we need to figure out the components and everything. Um, but we're kind of thinking about all those things at the same time together. So I think it speeds it up a little bit. Oh, for sure. And how do you think the game is doing now? Like as far as sales, do you see people playing it? Yeah. I mean, sales wise, it's going very well for us. We partnered with Asmodee in globally and they are now distributing the game and they are um, really happy with it. And there's print runs, multiple print runs now every single year of it. Um, we haven't really been to, I'd love to, one of these days, Jeff and I have to go back to the convention circuit because I would be curious to see, you know, if it's getting played at conventions or anything, but, um, yeah, we, we, at the moment we're either playing virtually or in really small groups in person. So I, I don't think we've yet seen for ourselves, like the kind of the impact on you know board gamers yet it'd be it'd be interesting if we could see that that's pretty cool my i recently got a text from my cousin she's like i was just walking past a game store and in the front window i saw a canvas on display and i know it's just it's it's cool that uh you know that it's a game that someone would want to display you know and in their <laughs> in their front view like that i don't know so it, it feels really good that was really cool to see um, I think I, I've heard a lot of positive reception from it. I, I follow the board game geek, you know, comments and threads and all that. So, um, yeah, I hope people are enjoying it. Uh, it was a lot of fun to make and I, I hope it's just as fun to play. I know that your game is one of the easier ones for me to show. My friends are obsessed with Century Spice Road. So I showed them that and I was like, well, if you like that, check this <laughs> one out. And then they were like, oh my God, of course it's hanging on your wall, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's so great though and as far as like the whole journey do you have a favorite and then least favorite moment hmm. of the journey yeah i mean the one thing we didn't really talk about is is um probably the least favorite was we our one failed kickstarter or unsuccessful was bow ties and um and that was something we were working on while jeff was out of his job he was like, Hey, I'm working on this bow ties. Like, are we doing this together or should I just do it by myself? And I was like, I'll quit my job and we'll do it together. And so, Aww, we put so all cute. this, yeah. And so we put all this effort into getting that on Kickstarter. And then like after day one, we had like, you know, we didn't make our goal and it wasn't looking very good. So it was like, okay, well now we're both out of jobs. And also this idea failed. Uh, what do we do next? That was probably a little bit of a low point because I think we're like, oh, maybe this was all horrible idea. <laughs> so, and then we spent nine months a year developing Crypt. And like, like Jeff said, that was a do or die moment because I think we basically, you know, it was pretty scarce on the money front, like leading up to that. 
yeah, if that game didn't work out, I think we both would have just found new jobs and mm -hmm. maybe that, that could have been a moment where we oh. abandoned the game design thing, I think. So that, that came at the right time. Um, wow. but I, I would say my favorite part of, of the process and the journey is usually just, you know, uh, when we play test something new, you know, well, cause we will grind so hard on a, on a game for, for a year or more. And so once we're done with the project, it's like such a relief and such a, I don't know, just it feels so fresh to bring out some new designs and, you know, half the time they're, they're awful, but you know, that's that that's just as fun sometimes like just putting something new on the table and seeing what that's doing um is always a lot more entertaining to me than it is like grinding out the same game and number balancing and <laughs> uh yeah. yeah so i don't know um it, right now we're in the the kickstarter phase for a new project globetrotting and so that means we're usually as one project is like done being designed we're designing something new so now we're kind of doing a little bit of that right now which is a lot of fun that's so cool what's your process on deciding like what game you're going to focus on just because i know your designs have been like your designs you don't take outside or like i don't know if you've changed that but in general how do you pick like this is one we're going to go with like canvas. This is the one we're going to spend over a year on. Yeah. It's, it's kind of evolved over time because we've gotten more efficient, but I'd say for the first, you know, five ish years that we were doing this, Andrew and I were usually just working on one game and all our attention was focused on it. And then we would release that game. And now I feel like we've gotten a bit more efficient and we probably have like four ish different live projects right now. Um, and, uh, which is kind of nice because then you can, like I was saying, you don't have to feel like you're grinding out the same game so much. You can switch back and forth between stuff, but it is, it's hard to decide, you know, what, what takes priority, but it really just comes down to which is the closest to being done and ready. You know, no, it totally makes sense. And as far as your game that's currently on Kickstarter, do you want to talk a little bit more about Globetrotters? Yeah. Uh, so Globetrotting is, uh, is a game where you get to plan some epic vacations and each player gets their own spherical globe. And so you're, you're literally drawing on that globe with a wet erase marker. Uh, each round of the game, you're revealing some new destination options and um, each player looks at the offer and selects which destination they would like to add to one of their trips, and then they draw a line on their globe to that destination. The object of the game being to accomplish your, your personal bucket list goals, and there's other ways of scoring points too, like uh, there's some, there's, you race to complete global objectives, there's travel companion goals, so you want to meet up with other players in certain destinations, um, and and you're, you also have to keep track of your airfare costs. The further you fly, the more expensive your your trip is and you can score points by spending fewer than than the other players um so it's it's another uh, pretty light easy to learn game uh, you can you can learn how to play in under five minutes the game itself plays in about 30 um and it's been a lot of fun working on that one. That was another one that was very component first in design. I, I've been thinking about this globe idea for a long time. And uh, once I finally got it to, to work and be uh, in, in, uh, had a solid proof of concept with the real globe, that was just such a satisfying, rewarding moment. Um, and and now here we are finally. on. It's live on Kickstarter and uh, 
people seem to, to be enjoying the, the the globe component of the game. I do love your box because it looks like a little suitcase, like the old school ones that you'd like slap a sticker on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very happy with how, how the boxes turned out. And I don't know. Uh, I... Uh, more, more so than all our previous games, I like how every component just feels so thematic to this game, right? You got your suitcase, you get your little passports, your globe, all the destinations, um, even the, the scoring objectives are your bucket list. Yeah. Um, so definitely a lot heavier in, in theme than we've gone previously, and I, I really like that. I noticed you had like those like credit cards that the airlines offer. It looked like that was really funny. And just your video sounds like one of those ridiculously cheesy commercials. And (laughs) I loved it so much. I'm like, if this is like meant to be serious, like I would be like, what's happening? But in general, I know it's not. So I was like, oh, this is good. This is good. Yeah, we we thought about all the different things that all the components you would use for travel. So, you know, we talked about passports and travel rewards cards and we tried to put as much of that into the game or find a way to get a mechanism around them sweet all right and then as designers can you each give me one piece of advice you would offer to either a new designer or ongoing designer that you think would like just help them in their journey play lots of games (laughs) i think uh that's that's probably the best advice i can offer just see what's out there um play lots of like play new stuff play you know always see see what's cutting edge what what are people doing with mechanisms and components i think you'll learn uh, about game design so much faster that way um by just seeing what uh you know the high profile designers have made and how it works and what what types of things don't work too right you know not not every game is for everyone and so it's important to see um the all the different mechanisms and andrew what about you any advice yeah for me and this goes for any any designer really is um when when you're playtesting your game don't be afraid to make changes whether it's during the game or between each play session the more you can experiment with your game's design the quicker you'll be able to understand and improve the game. So that's something that Jeff and I always focus on, especially now is if we're going to do a play test, what are the changes that we're implementing from the last play test so that we make sure that whether we think the ideas are good, we're at least discovering something about the game. It could be small stuff like we had a hand size of five cards last game. We're going to try six. Just so, you know, we never want to get to a point where it's like, well, we couldn't imagine a world where you just don't test that, where you just don't know. It's like, well, why why do you play with five cards in hand? It's like, because you've always done that. It's like, that's not a good answer. The answer needs to be, well, we tried six and we tried four and five was the best, you know, feeling for our play testers. So um, that, yeah, in, in changing the game, if, if your play test isn't going well, you know, you have the power to change how that's going. So, you know, if you if there's any rules you can change or any rules are suggested at the table, you know, try them. Say, hey, sure. Like if, if people think this is more fun, like let's try this new rule starting right now and see how that goes. Um, your game isn't, you know, some precious baby that can't be, you know, toyed with. It's It's this kind of Frankenstein experiment where you should just be, stitching and slapping on appendages whenever you can (laughs) so that's mine i love how creepy that sounds (laughs) (laughs) oh man 
that's 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 great. Well, all right. As my final question, completely unrelated to Canvas or you guys in general, but if there was a game that you just love and adore, and magically you get like one genie wish and decide to waste it on being you be the designer of that game and now everyone thinks you made it what game would you choose that's a good question i mean from a business point i'd probably have to choose like Catan or something like that would be creatively though um right now i i love res arcana i'm obsessed with that i've never uh played a game so much to the point where like I, I, i've wanted to participate in tournaments and stuff i've been playing that game so much on board game arena and uh i'm I'm on there every day so man if i if i could have made that game i would would just feel so proud like tom layman's incredible it's just like so uh, again it kind of fits everything i like about games that easy like set of rules but there's just like an infinite amount of stuff you can do in it i have not played that so i'll add it to the list yeah it's a great one oh but also, if you designed it, I mean, you probably wouldn't be as obsessed. Yeah, I'd probably be sick of it by now. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? You think of something? Yeah, um, I'll say Scythe. Scythe was like probably the first medium heavyweight game that Jeff and I really got into. Um, it took us a long time to like get over that hill to understand the rules. But once we did, we're like, holy cow. I think that's when we started to see a lot of value in you know, more complex titles. And I think that opened us up to playing a lot, a lot more games, honestly. So I go with Scythe. What what a cool design. I also love the fact that like a dad and daughter combo decided like, hey, let's make my little Scythe. Like the story behind that is just really cute too. Yeah, honestly, like if I could get someone on the show, I think that'd be kind of cute to like discuss how did you decide to not dummy down, but like take kind of that, make it easier. So like it's more accessible. It's just so cool. It's so cute. I love it. (laughs) Oh man. Well, awesome. So thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 40, Canvas. And thanks again, Jeff and Andrew, for joining us. For anyone trying to find you online, where can you be reached? The best place to find us right now is on the Globetrotting Campaign page. (laughs) It is live um, and uh, will be through July 12th. Um, Andrew and I are staring at that page all day. So if you need to reach us, drop us a comment or leave us an email at Road to Infamy. Uh, at gmail.com and uh, we, we'd be happy to talk games with you guys. Sweet. Awesome. And I hear your Instagram page is pretty awesome. Hard to buy games is how you can reach us on Instagram. And also if you go to our website, roadtinfamygames.com, you can sign up for our mailing list and we can tell you about cool games that we're coming out with. And often we ask our mailing list people to play the games and give us their feedback. So um, if you want to join in on our design process, that's a great way to do it. Beautiful. And then I am your host, Danielle Reynolds. You can find me online at Token Gamer, and that's G-A-Y-M-E-R, and that's on Instagram or Twitter. And you can just find me literally everywhere just bopping around doing a thing. But thanks, guys. It was awesome catching up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, anytime. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.